You're listening to the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast. My name is Matthew, and as your host, my mission is to help you discover who God is and what it means to live as a citizen of His kingdom. Greetings, Finchwood. Let's start off this week by reviewing what's already been covered in this podcast. The first few episodes laid the groundwork for what Finchwood is all about, that it's about following Jesus and how you can follow him too. Next, we began this first season focusing on the ideals behind everything that we do, with love as our purpose and making disciples as our mission. We talked about the message we proclaim, that Jesus is the king and how that's very good news, and finally we looked for a bit at what it means to be a community called the church and how our different gifts and, frankly, our very lives ought to be lived with the goal of helping those around us rather than selfishly serving ourselves at their expense. All of that content that's already been covered has the exact same source, and that's the Bible. What we believe, what we say, how we act, and how we understand ourselves in relation to each other, all of that comes from reading and understanding what's written between the pages of this one book. I've also already said a few times that maturing as a Christian requires seriously getting into this book, and even letting it get into us. In short, the Bible is fundamentally important to Christianity, so for probably the rest of this season, we will be talking about the Bible. With that said, I think before we ever get into individual stories or passages, the best place to start is by orienting ourselves to the Bible from a bird's-eye view. Who wrote it? When? And why? What's it really about? Why was this included while this wasn't? How do I navigate such an immense amount of content, let alone interpret it, let alone apply it to my life that I live outside of its pages? Beyond those issues, there are a few misconceptions that people may have about the Bible, and I'd like to take the time to clear those up so that they don't cloud our interpretation. The first thing that you should know about the Bible is that it's what's called an anthology. We tend to call it a book because it's usually published together in one volume, but rather than being a single composition by one author from front to back, it's actually a diverse collection of separate sections written over the course of more than a thousand years in at least three languages by at least 40 different people. We call those sections books, and there are 66 of them altogether. They each have their own themes and subjects, and some of them are short enough to be read in a couple of minutes, while a few of them would take four or five hours to read from start to finish. Even in all that diversity, the Bible is fundamentally about God. It's about his actions throughout history, his relationship with mankind, and his plans for the future. Each of the 66 books of the Bible are divided up even further into chapters, and then each chapter is divided up into smaller units called verses, which usually consist of a sentence or two at most. Book, chapter, and verse come together to describe a specific place in the Bible, much like an address might have a house number, a street name, and a zip code. We do that so that we can communicate a location to one another and know what we're referring to. Probably the most well-known reference in the Bible is John 3.16, which refers to the book called John, the third chapter, and the 16th verse in that chapter. 
It is important to know, however, that the Bible wasn't written as collections of verses. It was written as whole books that were meant to be taken as distinct literary units. The chapter and verse system was added centuries later, so it's not a part of the original text. Sometimes dividing it up like that can make it easy to miss the larger context that a verse belongs to. And context matters a great deal if we want to know what the biblical authors actually intended to communicate. So let's look at what's actually printed inside most paper Bibles, or what's found in popular Bible apps in case you're not the paper type. The fact is that not everything printed on these pages or displayed on your screen is considered Bible. Alongside the original text, what you usually find is that there are a lot of things included that would be in any other modern reference book, like page numbers, tables of contents, notes from the editors and translators, sometimes there might be a concordance or a glossary, lots of footnotes, and so forth. Some other items are a little bit more Bible-specific, like maps of ancient Israel and places to record the dates of major events in your life, like baptisms and weddings and things like that. Now, to be fair, most readers who are at all familiar with books do a decent job of understanding that the glossary wasn't written by Moses or David or Paul, so it's not technically part of the Bible the way that the Psalms are, for instance. However, there are a few things printed in Bibles that I've seen trip people up. The biggest one is that a lot of Bibles are available with lessons or inspirational sayings on the pages that go along with the text. Now, those are great resources, so please don't hear me say that they're evil or that you shouldn't read them. To the contrary, a study Bible can be a great way to learn more about your faith. Those sections are simply not as authoritative as the Bible itself. The sneakiest additions to the text that still don't hold the same authority are the headings that modern Bible translators tend to put over various paragraphs, along with the chapter and verse numbers that divide the text into easily quoted sections. With the exception of the Book of Psalms, no other book in the Bible is naturally divided into chapters, and no book was written with verses in mind. Now, to be fair, I'm grateful that this numbering system exists. Without chapters and verses, it would be incredibly difficult to have a discussion about what a particular passage says. At the same time, those numbers printed in our Bible sometimes give us the false impression that a sentence or a passage makes sense on its own without the all-important context that I just talked about a few minutes ago. They can also lead us to draw faulty conclusions about when a train of thought starts or ends. If you don't believe me, just go through the Bible and notice how many verses start with words like therefore or and so. Perhaps the most easily recognized example would be John 3.16, which starts out with the famous words, For God so loved the world. Most Christians have heard that verse so many times that we don't even notice the word for at the beginning, but it's not extra. It means that this is the conclusion of something Jesus started talking about back in verse 10. An even better example might be the word so. Without context, most people assume that this just means so much, but it's actually intended to point us back to what was said in verse 15, which recounts one of the incidents that happened back in the time of Moses. Because we tend to start reading where the verse numbers tell us, we miss out on all that context. We think this is a self-contained unit, but it's not, and it was never intended to be.
In short, the verse and chapter numbers weren't part of the original author's intentions. It's great to use them to communicate and for convenience, but please don't draw conclusions based on their presence on the page. Now let's look at the structure of this anthology. At the highest level, what we Christians refer to as the Bible consists of two major sections, which we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the portion of scripture that was written before Jesus was born, and it's also claimed as sacred literature by most adherents of Judaism. The New Testament, on the other hand, is not recognized in Judaism because it's the portion of scripture that was written after Jesus came. The Old Testament was written predominantly in Hebrew, with a few sections in Aramaic, which is a sister language of Hebrew, while the New Testament was written in Greek. Another key difference between the Old and New Testaments is their size. The Old Testament is about three times the size of the New Testament. It consists of 39 books, while the New Testament includes only 27 books. Finally, the Old Testament is frequently quoted in the New Testament, while many New Testament events are foretold prophetically in the Old Testament. Now, this is not to say that the two Testaments are entirely different from one another. They both contain a diverse collection of narratives, prophecies, poetry, and even personal correspondence. All the Bible's content has to do with God's chosen people, Israel, which is why the authorship of both Testaments is overwhelmingly Jewish, with only a few possible exceptions mixed in. And it's why these people described events that happened in the ancient Mediterranean world. Both Testaments also paint a remarkably unified picture of God, that he's good, that he loves us, and that he's overseeing history and guiding it toward a conclusion that he has in mind. Now, some people tend to overemphasize the New Testament at the expense of the Old, or vice versa, but we believe that it's important to know and use the whole Bible, since together they form a narrative that's incomplete without either section. Simply put, you wouldn't want to start watching a TV show in the middle of the second season. You wouldn't really know what's going on. Conversely, you also wouldn't want to start the story at the beginning without eventually knowing how it resolves. It's the same way with the Old and New Testaments together. Within each testament, certain books have come to be categorized together over time, and that's reflected in the traditional order of the books as they're printed or listed today. Honestly, I think these categories developed over time because each book was once written on its very own scroll, but then someone with a collection of dozens of scrolls needed a good way to organize them. Eventually, they started copying certain categories together onto a single scroll for convenience. Nowadays, we don't use scrolls. I mean, a lot of us don't even use paper. But the traditional categories are still plenty useful because of the time periods they represent and the subjects and genres of literature they contain. First, there's what's called the law. In Hebrew, this is also called the Torah, which means instruction. These are the first five books of the Bible, which tell the story of creation, patriarchs like Abraham and Jacob, and of Moses and the children of Israel coming up out of Egypt. The reason it's called the law, or instruction, comes from the fact that it also contains the moral and ceremonial codes that Moses received from God and gave to his people on their way to the promised land. Second, we have a section that could be summed up as history. Yes, the previous section also contains history, but this is specifically the history of Israel as a people and a nation. 
ranging from their conquest of the Promised Land, through the period of the kings, into the exile in Babylon, and even after the exile, when some of them returned to the land from the nations where they had been scattered. In Judaism, the authors of these books are considered prophets, and I think that's appropriate because even though they didn't foretell future events, they did give us a divine theological perspective in addition to simply recording history. Next, we have what some people call the wisdom or poetry section, while others just call it the writings. These are a collection of sayings, songs, poems, and even what might possibly be the script for a play. These were collected over the course of Israel's history from the time of the patriarchs to after the exile. They cover a wide range of topics, emotional states, and life situations. The largest book in this section, and indeed the largest in the whole Bible, is Psalms, which is itself an anthology of 150 different works within the larger biblical anthology. After the writings, the Bible contains a large section of prophecy, which is divided further into what are called the major and minor prophets. To clarify, those labels don't refer to the importance of some works over others, but rather to their lengths. The major prophets all wrote long volumes that might each fill an entire scroll, while the minor prophets wrote shorter messages. What they actually wrote about varies widely, sometimes even within a single book. Much of it consists of God calling Israel to repentance and outlining the consequences if they continued to break their covenant with him. There's also a lot here about God's plans concerning the coming Messiah and the end of history as we know it. Now those four categories are the major sections of the Old Testament. The New Testament begins with a narrative section describing the life and career of Jesus of Nazareth, recorded in four books that we call the Gospels. These are essentially biographies. They contain accounts of the miracles Jesus performed, selections from all that he had taught, and accounts of the way he lived, died, and was resurrected. The four Gospels are followed by the Acts of the Apostles, this book chronicles the initial spread of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire in the 40 or so years after Jesus' ministry as recorded in the Gospels. The rest of the New Testament consists of correspondence that Jesus' followers sent to one another. We call these the epistles, although I'm pretty sure that's just the Greek word for letter, so there's no real deeper meaning there. The epistles are organized by author, and then by subject, and then finally by length, like so. The first 13 were written by the Apostle Paul, while the last nine were written by other authors. Paul's epistles are divided further into two sections. The first nine are written to Christian communities in specific places, addressing events and issues happening in their cities. Paul's remaining letters are what's known as the pastoral epistles, meaning that they were addressed to individuals rather than to whole communities, and they deal with matters of a more personal nature. The remaining nine New Testament letters were written by authors other than Paul, and those are known as the general epistles because they were predominantly addressed to every believer in the world. Of those nine, the last one is a bit of an odd duck. It's called Revelation or the Apocalypse, which, by the way, is just a fancy Greek word that means something that's been uncovered. So let's stick with calling it Revelation. The reason I say it's an odd duck is that it does take the form of a letter, but it's mostly prophetic in nature. It deals with the end of the world, and it uses a lot of cryptic imagery, so while some people do place it with the epistles, 
other scholars tend to put it in its own category entirely. And to be fair, there are plenty of good reasons to do that. I'm sure we'll get into those in the future. Frankly, I'd love to do individual episodes on each section and then on each book, but I hope this summary has at least given you a little bit more confidence to start reading the Bible on your own, or at least the knowledge needed to navigate your way through the text. That's about all I have to say for this week, but I want to just end with this note. There are a number of books that didn't make it into the Bible. We have 66 that we call scripture, but what does that even mean? Who wrote them? And what part did God play in inspiring those authors? Those are all very good questions, and I'd like to cover those next week, so I hope you'll stick around and join me then for a conversation on the authority of the Bible why we think these 66 books are more important than anything else that's ever been written. I hope to see you then, and meanwhile, have a great week, and thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast, conversations for people who want to be more like Jesus. If you enjoyed this episode, then please subscribe now and consider sharing it with your friends. For more information about this episode's topic, or to continue the discussion, please consult the show notes. See you next time!